Immediately before Jesus mentioned the days of Noah, he uttered his oft-quoted phrase, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only, Matthew 24, 36. That single statement has become synonymous with refuting folks who try to set a date for the rapture of the church. Now, I totally agree we cannot set a date for the rapture of the church. Okay, so is that clear? Is anybody unclear about that? No date setting. However, Jesus' statement in Matthew does not settle the matter. It can't settle it because in that verse and in that chapter, Jesus is not talking about the rapture at all. He's not even talking about the church. He's talking about the future tribulation, the nation of Israel, and his second coming at its end to establish his 1,000-year kingdom on the earth. The church is not present in any sense in chapters 24 and 25. The disciples' questions related to Jerusalem, Israel, and the Lord's second coming in glory to establish his kingdom. It skips over the church age in which we are living. I don't want to read it all, but if you will simply scan the preceding verses, starting with verse 15, you can't miss the fact that Jesus is talking to Jews in the tribulation. For example, he mentions the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel. That is a well-known prophetic event that takes place at the very midpoint of the future tribulation. The rapture precedes that event by at least three and a half years. And so the Lord's giving you some information about the tribulation, not the rapture of the church. As you read through, you'll see that all of the geography of the passage takes place in the promised land. It has to do with Judea and fleeing and all of that kind of thing. The, excuse me, the people he is addressing might be keeping the Sabbath. Now, keeping aside arguments that we have about whether we are supposed to keep the Sabbath or not, what Jesus is telling us is that the people he's addressing are Jewish Sabbath keepers. He indicates it will be the greatest trouble to ever come upon the earth, and that means it will be the final one, the great tribulation that he ends at his second coming. So he's not talking about the rapture at all. The heavenly bodies are going to be darkened and shaken in atmospheric cataclysms. And at its end, its survivors will be gathered by angels from all over the earth for a final judgment. By the time you get to no man knows the day or the hour, it's clear that Jesus means his second coming. Now that suggests another fun question. The second coming is at the very end of the seven-year tribulation. And since men on the earth can know exactly when the tribulation starts and its precise midpoint, how is it that no man knows the exact day or the hour? It seems like you should be able to. Tribulation starts when a world leader signs a treaty with Israel guaranteeing her peace and safety. Now, that's the guy that we know as the Antichrist. He will be revealed as the Antichrist in the middle of the tribulation, but the tribulation itself starts when he signs that treaty. And as I mentioned, the abomination of desolation that Daniel spoke of, that occurs at exactly the middle of the tribulation, 300, uh, 1,260 days into it, three and a half years into it, when the Antichrist goes into the rebuilt Jewish temple and he defiles it by demanding that he be worshipped as God. And so those are well-known prophetic dates 
the beginning of the tribulation, the midpoint, and of course it's going to last for seven years. So why won't men know the day or the hour? Well, one practical reason, by the time the tribulation ends, the earth and the heavens have gone through terrible changes. It may be that you will not be able to tell time by the end of the tribulation. And that sounds strange for people like us obsessed with telling time uh, but uh, and being early or late or, you know, those kinds of things. But uh, you, you understand, we've read through the things that are happening in the tribulation. I mean, it's going to be awful. The heavens are going to be darkened. Heavenly bodies are going to go through tra- uh, strange changes. The earth's going to be hit by something called wormwood. It's going to be incredibly cataclysmic and dark. Uh, days, the regular day-night cycle is going to be interrupted. And, uh, you know, at first it reminded me of those prisoners who, you know, put a notch on the window every or on the wall every day to see how many days they've been there. But at least they see the sun come up and go down out their little window in the top of their cell. You may not be able to do that at the end of the tribulation. So literally, you may run out of ways of keeping time. And that way you have some idea that we're getting close, the people in the tribulation that are getting close to the coming of the Lord, but they wouldn't know the day or the hour. But why won't Jesus know? Because he says, no man knows, I don't even know. And this is interesting. I consulted a few Hebrew sources about what Jesus said. What I discovered is fascinating. You know, without getting all involved in keeping the festivals and feasts and thinking that we have to do Jewish things, it is pretty important to understand the Hebrew roots of the uh, Bible and the New Testament, uh, realizing that Jesus was a Jew and all the first Christians were Jews, And there are things that were going on in the Jewish culture and in Jewish culture still that help us to understand the Bible a little bit better. So let me put this out there for your consideration. This is a quote from one Jewish source, but many say the same thing in different ways. And so there's a first century Jewish idiom that will shed much light on what Yeshua, Jesus, was saying to his followers 2,000 years ago and to us today. The Hebrew calendar is based upon the lunar cycle. It consists of 12 30-day months, with the moon officially beginning with the sighting of the first sliver of the new moon. All Jewish holidays always fall on the full moon of the month, except one. Rosh Hashanah, also known as the Feast of Trumpets, is the only holiday that occurs on the first of the month during the month of Tishri. Before science understood the cycles of the planets and the solar system, the Jews knew that there was a two-day window for the sighting of the new moon. The new month could not officially begin until two witnesses reported to the high priest they had seen the sliver of the new moon. Once the first two sightings were confirmed, the priest would sound the shofar to declare the start of Rosh Hashanah. Until these two witnesses came forth, the response from the priest would always be, no one knows the day or the hour when the holiday is going to begin. Thus, the words of Jesus become significant here with this understanding. He seems to be saying that he would come at Rosh Hashanah. His disciples would have understood immediately what he meant, but the meaning has been lost over the centuries as scriptures have been separated further and further from Hebrew roots. And so... The Hebrew sources, these are some Christian, some Hebrew Christians, some just Jews that aren't saved. They're claiming that no man knows the day or the hour is an idiomatic phrase specifically related to the Feast of Trumpets and that Jesus was indicated he would return in his second coming 
on that feast. Now, we know that Jesus, in his first coming, fulfilled four Jewish spring feasts, and he did it on the exact day of those feasts. In fact, going before the fulfillment of the first feast, which was Passover, he fulfilled Daniel's prophecy in coming to Jerusalem and riding in on the exact date and day and time that Daniel said he would. And so he comes into town, just as uh, the scripture said he would, on the exact day, which is why he said if they weren't saying hallelujah, the rocks would have to shout because this has been prophesied. And then he sacrificed himself on the Feast of Passover, just as the lambs were being slain. He was buried on the Feast of Unleavened Bread, resurrected on the Feast of first fruits, and he sent the Holy Spirit on the Feast of of weeks or Pentecost. And so remember, we're not setting any dates for the rapture. You got, you're clear on that, right? We're talking about the feast days, the first coming of Jesus, and it's a fact that he fulfilled all those feasts on the exact day of those feasts. The practices of each of these spring feasts clearly depict the death and resurrection of Jesus. He's the Passover Lamb of God. We often quote John 1.29, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is the unleavened bread of life. He said, I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread also which I shall give for the life of the world is my flesh. Jesus is first fruits. It says, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. And he sent the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. The spring feasts were followed by a summer harvest. Then the fall feasts were celebrated. Those fall feasts are as yet unfulfilled by Jesus. He did not fulfill any of the fall feasts. They are the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles. Jesus seems to be saying his second coming will coincide with the Feast of Trumpets. It will mark the regathering of the nation of Israel. I don't have any problem with that, with Jesus saying... Uh, no man knows the day or the hour. In other words, it's going to coincide with the Feast of Trumpets uh, because his second coming is kind of, we, we kind of know when it's going to be anyway. I mean, we can't know the exact day or the hour, but it's going to be at the end of the tribulation and it's probably going to be in a September or an October when the Feast of Trumpets would normally be held. The Day of Atonement could be fulfilled at his second coming because we read that all the Jews who survived the tribulation will look upon him and what? They'll be saved. They'll realize that he shed his blood for them, and they will uh, accept him as their Savior. And the Feast of Tabernacles is fulfilled as Jesus tabernacles with men on the earth in the kingdom of heaven on the earth. And so as we look ahead past our own time, at the end of the tribulation, those feasts will be fulfilled. Now, if you study prophecy, you know it's common for students of prophecy success... Or, prophecy to suggest that Jesus will resurrect and rapture the church on the Feast of Trumpets. All the date setting that does go on in the church always revolves around the, the September and the Feast of Trumpets. Uh, there's nothing in the Bible to specifically indicate this. And so anytime you hear somebody talking about the Feast of Trumpets being the time that the Lord is going to come back, Nothing specifically in the Bible about that. It's a conjecture. I believe the doctrine of imminence is definitely taught by the writers of the Bible. 
And that means Jesus could resurrect and rapture us at any moment. And that means it could be on the Feast of Trumpets, but it could also be right now. And so that's why we can't set any dates, because the rapture is imminent. Thomas Ice gives this definition definition of imminence. Four important elements contribute to a pre-tribulational understanding of imminency. First, imminency means that the rapture could take place at any moment. While other events may take place before the rapture, no event must precede it. If prior events are required before the rapture, then the rapture could not be described as imminent. Thus, if any event were required to occur before the rapture, then the concept of imminency would be destroyed. Second, since the rapture is imminent, could happen at any moment, then it follows one must be prepared for it to occur at any time without sign or warning. Third, imminency eliminates any attempt at date setting. Date setting is impossible since the rapture is signless, providing no basis for date setting. And if imminency is really true, the moment a date was fixed, then Christ could not come at any moment, destroying imminence. Fourth, a person cannot legitimately say that an imminent event will happen soon. The term soon implies that an event must take place with a short time after a particular point of time specified. By contrast, an imminent event may take place within a short time, but it does not have to do so in order to be imminent. So that's why I sometimes tell you that we shouldn't, I say it still, but we say Jesus is coming soon. That's not biblically accurate because he could come at any moment. And soon implies that certain things might have to happen before he comes. So does the Bible teach imminence? Well, let me read a list of verses, just some of them that we believe contribute to this idea. 1 Corinthians 1, 7, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 3, 20, our citizenship is in heaven, from which we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 4, 5, the Lord is near. 1 Thessalonians 1, 10, we wait for his Son from heaven. 1 Thessalonians 5, 6, So uh, then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. 1 Timothy 6.14 Keep the commandment without stain or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Titus 2.13 Looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. Uh, Hebrews 9.28 So Christ shall appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await him. 1 Peter 1.13, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Jude 21, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. The early church had a special greeting for one another. As we read in 1 Corinthians 16.22, it was the word Maranatha. It consists of three Aramaic words, Lord, come soon. Our, or excuse me, our Lord come. Not so there's no soon in it. I made that up. I didn't want to do the Greek part of it. It's Mar, Lord, Anna, our, and Tha, come. Meaning our Lord come. And it, it indicates that he could come at any moment. Uh, James wrote what was arguably the earliest of the New Testament epistles. He told his readers that the Lord's, Lord's return was imminent. He said, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. 
the judge is standing at the door. When the Apostle Paul described the Lord's coming for the church, he used personal pronouns that show he was convinced he himself could be among those who would be caught up alive to meet the Lord. He said in 1 Thessalonians 4, We who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord, we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Noah and his family entering the ark, not a picture of the rapture. It's a picture of the nation of Israel being saved through the great tribulation. Enoch being translated to heaven without ever dying prior to the flood, that's the picture of the rapture. So the flood is a picture of tribulation preceded by the rapture. We're pre-trib. We believe in imminence and in being ready for our blessed hope, the coming of Jesus for his church. Amen?